0: Welcome to the College Scoops podcast. I'm your host, Moyer McCullough, and today we are talking with David Hawkins of the University Guys about what students need to know when applying to a university abroad.
1: The key difference is what are you applying for? Okay. So if you're applying to St. Andrews or to Edinburgh or to any other UK university, you're not applying for general admission to the university, You're not even applying to admission to a School of Engineering or a School of Fine Arts. You're being admitted to that program of study. And that program of study is like, you know, picking a restaurant for dinner. That's what you're getting.
0: This is the College Scoops podcast and I'm your host, Moira McCullough. We focus on everything college related from the admissions process to where to eat, stay, and explore on and around campuses. Our guests include founders, educators, authors, and experts in the college space. Join us as these experts share their knowledge, experiences, and lessons learned to help you have stress-free, informative, and tasty college journeys. Whether it's your first or last child going to college, or you're just interested in going to a college town for a game or meal, we've got you covered. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the College Scoops podcast to get the inside scoops on everything college-related, and leave us a review. Thanks to all of our sponsors, partners, and the entire College Scoops ambassador team for helping us bring valuable content to our community. If you would like to support College Scoops as a sponsor, please head over to Patreon at patreon.com collegescoops college scoops and sign up as a sustaining listener, insider, or deluxe sponsor. We have exclusive benefits for our members, free ebooks, and even a College Scoops care package. David Hawkins is one of a small number of independent counselors to hold the gold standard international affiliation with the Council of International Schools. An Oxford graduate, David was the head of college counseling at the International School of Brussels, one of the largest in Europe, and before that was the head of careers and a history teacher at Taunton School. David holds membership in the International Association for College Admissions Counseling, IACA, HECA, and the Council of International Schools. He also serves on committees for CIS and IECA. Now, as director of the University Guise, he and his team provide bespoke individual counseling to families pursuing global university options, recruitment services for international universities within the British Isles, and support for schools with various aspects of university advising. David, thank you so much for coming on the College Skips podcast today.
1: My pleasure, thanks for having me, Moira.
0: Could you just introduce yourself quickly and just share a little bit about who you are?
1: Thank you, yes. So uh, my name is David Hawkins. I'm director and founder at The University Guys. Um, uh, a small team of independent education consultants, mostly based over here in in merry old England. Um, And we support mostly students from UK schools who want to apply to colleges in other countries, and an increasing number of international students from outside the UK or, or Western Europe who then want to come here. Um, So we're doing IEC work but very much on student mobility from one system into another.
0: So given that, because again, we were talking a little bit earlier about the recent, all the application responses, all the college decisions that are due out, and we were talking about what was different this year. Share with us a little bit about what you heard and what you're seeing in some of the students' responses, Ben.
1: Yeah, I mean... I'll be honest and I think a lot of us who do international advising had the same fear that we make a living out of borders not really mattering and people being able to get on flights and connect around the world and and this sort of global trend to the world becoming smaller which suddenly stopped um, that people couldn't go anywhere borders really mattered and I was terrified and I think a lot of people were that the work that we do to help these students with aspirations to build their future somewhere else was gonna fall apart. I think it's quite the opposite, to be honest. Um, our numbers are as strong as they ever have been just in terms of the university guys. We work alongside a lot of high schools across the UK and we're seeing a continued growth of students from UK schools aspire to study internationally. Also the same students from, from the US wanted to come this way for, for undergraduate study. And the only thing I can think about is it's one of those things that you don't know what you're missing until it's it's gone. But actually, the world has been a challenging place for a while now in terms of openness and people wanting to learn from other cultures and the ability to travel. And then it's been extraordinarily challenging for eight months or so now. And I think people are going, you know, what well, if I want a global future, I can't just assume it's going to be there for me, I actually have to go and do something about it. Um, it's certainly a trend we saw after the Brexit referendum here in the UK. People we going, oh, well, if I want to have a European experience, I'll, I'll need to go and get one. I can't just pop on a 20-pound flight and go and be in another country. So it's been really interesting seeing, actually quite inspiring, how a younger generation still think this global connectiveness matters to them.
0: Well, I, we learn so much. I think when you're younger, it's like you just think everything's possible, which I yeah. think is really... The strength that everyone kinda of needs right about now. Yeah, I know when we talked earlier, a lot of US students now are actually University of St Andrews and University of Edinburgh are really kind of hot schools, yeah. at least in our area. What would you recommend to a student from the US who's looking at studying overseas? What is some of the advice that you would give? There's so many differences in culturally and programs, the way it's yeah. structured.
1: Absolutely, I think the very fact that the student might be having that conversation, whether it's with a parent, a guardian, a counsellor, there's something in them that means they want to do something different. And I, the first thing I would say is, is go with that. If you, even if you, you're a high school counsellor, you're a parent, and you're hearing your child do this and it terrifies you, there's something in in that. There's something wonderful about the fact that your child is, is brave enough to articulate that, um, and and. Encourage them to think about what well, is now that might be a semester abroad from a U.S. college. It might be the entire degree overseas. What I would then say is, and, and something that maybe I'll, one day I'll do an, a, a PhD in the word "university" is something that is so culturally conditioned, And actually, it's a fascinating thing, and we're working with students right now applying to 16 different countries, universities. And every single university system is designed to work for the culture of that country and you, you consume the news media and the social media, and I'm fortunate to have friends all around the world. And so much of their perception of what university is, is based on their own country. And so a lot of students, I feel, maybe pick the least worst option in their own country because they don't really know what else is out there. Um my own experience, I think, is, is really interesting. I studied a history degree uh, at Oxford University, um, and my, my track towards that in the UK model was basically to be as narrow in terms of my academics as I could be. So I I have no maths or English or science after the age of 16. Okay. Because that's what I needed that's- to do in the British curriculum to be suited to study this one subject. 100% of my classes over my three year degree were history classes. And I liked history because it enabled me to do everything that... If it was in the past, whether it was engineering or language or literature or politics, if it was in the past, I could study it because I could say, well, it's history. (laughs) I didn't know about the liberal arts and sciences. I didn't know majors and minors and electives and distribution requirements. So I picked something that fitted me in my cultural understanding. But if I'd known that there was a thing called the liberal arts and sciences and I could just go to a US college, if I'd known St. John's College in Maryland existed, I'd have been there like a shot. That would have suited me, but I didn't know. And so my advice would be, understand that what college and university might be could be something completely different. The best way we found at university guys of explaining how this word means different things to different people is to compare it to another word that between our two great countries means different things, which is football. Moira, if you describe the game of football now and I describe the game of football now, we'd be describing two completely different sports. Absolutely. And it's exactly the same way with how a U.S. family might consider going to university and how a British family might consider to the university. They're completely different experiences. If you've got that child who just loves one subject, who, the idea of doing general education and distribution requirements absolutely terrifies them. If you're looking at their transcript and they are spiky in all the STEM, but get them to write an essay or read a book of literature, they can't do it. The UK is awesome for them. We don't want well-rounded kids. We want you as flat as a pancake. <laughs> as long as you love that subject. And and so it's understanding that the best fit option might be in a completely different part of the world. Um, and, and I'll check this in for you, for your listeners. It might also be significantly cheaper than staying in the US for college.
0: Having lived in uh, overseas, that was it, we left when our kids were very young. And I remember even the, the grammar school that what we call grammar school at age of what, seven or eight boys in the UK have a decision to go to boarding school, right? I think- They can was, do, yeah. So that was what, it was very interesting, depending upon where you are, that you had to make a decision at a certain point, very young, how you want your future schooling to be. Yeah. And it started out very young, but I think that's so relevant. I, I love the fact that you first off said, they're curious, they're asking you about going overseas, embrace that, enjoy that for the moment, and then delve into it and say, well, what does that mean? Because university over in the UK, in Japan, in the US, so different. And so therefore you have that discussion. And then what are some of the things if if we have students here that are looking at St Andrews or University of Edinburgh? What should what are the schools looking for from them? Like what is different that they wouldn't have to maybe plan for or articulate yeah. for U.S. schools?
1: Yeah, so I mean, I'll talk about the U.K. model. Um, yeah. Scotland is actually slightly different from the rest of the U.K. It, it just for historic reasons as to how the degree is structured. But if you talk about the U.K. of, of which St Andrews and Edinburgh are two great universities. The key difference is what are you applying for? So if you're applying to St. Andrews or to Edinburgh or to any other UK university, you're not applying for general admission to the university, You're not even applying to admission to a school of engineering or a school of fine arts. You're being admitted to that programme of study. And that programme of study is like, you know, picking a restaurant for dinner. That's what you're getting. You wouldn't turn up to an Italian restaurant and expect to find Korean food on the menu. If you're admitted to study history, then you won't be given maths classes. So because of what you're applying for, then the whole selection procedure is based on that. So if you're applying to study a single course of study, um, so let's say my example is history, then the requirements you would have to have are going to be based on that admissions office seeing are you good enough to study history here? So what you would write in terms of our personal statement isn't gonna be about what kind of person am I and who would I be in your community, it's how good am I at history? What have I done to prepare me for the study of history? What your high school counsellor or your subject teacher would write is not about what a nice person you are, but how well prepared you are to study history. And and then the biggest difference is, the university is gonna need to see that you are academically qualified in that subject area. So that's where, for US students, typically, An offer of admission would be based on achieving grades in APs. Mm -hmm. Typically, there'd be a history AP in there or SAT subject tests, because, again, they need to know that you know enough, in effect, to walk out of high school, have a couple of months off. And then on day one, be studying that history course. The Scottish model is ever so slightly different because in the rest of the UK, we have a three year bachelor's degree. scotland is actually a four-year degree which is i think why st andrews and edinburgh are are the easier routes into the uk system for students from the us where actually you could apply for history in your first two years you could take a bunch of classes outside that course of study and actually if you got there and decided that you actually preferred english literature you could switch over to that if you wanted to do a dual honors you could pick up classes anthropology so the scottish degree offers a little bit more flexibility But in the UK, if you're admitted to, say, King's College London to study history and you decide that you don't like it, you quit. And then you reapply for the thing that you do like.
0: Okay, Which is is so different. Like, as you just said, I mean, you're um, there's one thing here about applying ED or something like that. But this is something totally different where you need to be very thoughtful and know that this is the area that you want to focus on. And if not, that's not the right school for you flat out.
1: Wait. Absolutely. I mean the, the, the cultural piece and the, um, I have on my bookshelf behind me, I have books about different US colleges on, on there and it's very much the focus when you flick through the fist guide and things is it's done alphabetically by college because that's in the US coast, so you're picking that experience, you know, what kind of education do I want to have? If you look at the UK equivalent, we don't have it that way where you're picking the college, it's done subject by subject. So again, a student looking for say physics, would be opening up the page or looking at an online thing and searching for, right, I want to study physics. I've got these kind of grades. Where can I look at that's going to want me? And so in the UK system, it is very much first and foremost, what do you want to study at university? And then where do I want to go? With the US system, it's where do I want to go to school? And then maybe what am I interested in studying when I get there?
0: So then take that and, and focus on all the students that you're helping right now from the UK looking at studying in the US. Yeah, totally well, different approach.
1: totally different and it's, some of them are coming because they, they love that idea um, and some of the talks and, and workshops we give for high schools here are really focusing on that idea of, you know, I, I, I refer to the mind-blowing emoji sometimes when I talk to students and parents and say that you don't have to pick a subject to apply for when you go to university and it, it really is sometimes in their faces that their mind cannot cope with that idea. But, but what are you going to study? The idea that you know you find students we work with students whose interests are engineering and ballet. Now in the UK, they are having to give up one of those interests when they go to college. Certainly in terms of taking classes, it's hard to do it in the US, but it's possible to do it. So it's such a different experience for them. And then when we start to think about, you know, what might you study in the curriculum, I mean I've sat with students and looked through Caltech's core curriculum with really talented engineers, and they're going, i going to take an English class. I mean, it, it just, they cannot compute that idea. So it's completely different systems.
0: Oh, it, well, conceptually, they're just like, no, I'm not wired for that. Like we yeah. have, no, well, you have to untrain yourself really yeah. in a sense of saying, you know, and I think that mainly a lot of your business must be focused on really making sure that the student is educated in that sense.
1: Yeah, right. I mean, absolutely. I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I, we talk about coaching. Um, and it is very similar if I take that analogy of football versus football you know you know, there are people from our sports over here more commonly rugby football rather than soccer who've tried to come and play in the NFL well it takes them a couple of years to learn how to do it you have to adapt and we're trying to coach students as well to understand the terminology the language the strategy and the tactics in order to then make good decisions so a lot of the work we do early on with a family we're actually presenting them with different models of a US curriculum so we have a document where we show them without with the names off I show them Harvard's curriculum I show them Columbia's curriculum with all that that reading um, I show them Penn's School of Engineering curriculum and we show them the open curriculum at Brown without the names on they go wow this is so different you know, I know well, which of these do you prefer they're trying to get their mindset of understanding that that's the choices you have to make and then helping them to make good choices. And the danger that that is for international students, the world over is I wanna go to the Ivy league and they're all the same as each other. They're just in different places. Was as we know, what you study at Brown is fundamentally different from what you study at Columbia. And people need to learn that work. it's, It's a great pleasure to do it actually, to be able to educate people. And I'd say a lot of the time, the students are coming to us, we're having a couple of sessions with them and they're realizing, oh, yeah, I do love physics. Why am I having to take into literature? I'll just stay in the UK, or actually, you know what? I'll look at Canada. I'll look at Europe. That's the place where this this little curiosity will take me.
0: Absolutely. And then, how do you, in terms of, knowing and, and you know, we talk about fit all the time, and I know you have webinars on that, and you have <laughs> blog posts, on, but how do you, help students to connect then, with with. If they decide, yes, I want to go to the US and I want to go for that experience, and you know, how do you how do you help them find the right fit?
1: Yeah, so there's an extra step when you don't have that cultural familiarity. I and mean, I often joke, clearly I, I I am not American, I was educated in the UK. I can't tell you who played point guard for Villanova in 1988, to be honest, I struggle sometimes to tell you what a point guard actually was. We don't have that level of cultural familiarity, but what we do have is where the students are coming from. Um, I used to used to be a teacher and there's a, a theory in teaching called the zone of proximal development that if you want to take a student from point A to point Z, you have to take them through all the steps in between. You can only educate them from the point they are to the next little bit, the zone proximus to where they are. And so that's what we do is saying, well, we want you to be able to understand the difference between the cultures of so many different U.S. universities so you can find fit. So we need to educate them on what are. So what is Greek life? What does it mean to go to a Catholic school? What's an urban school? Um, And we have various tools that we use. I'll give a shout out to Coursava, which is a wonderful tool that we use working with our students to help them understand all these different choices that they've got. Um, Because first of all, we have to educate them what these schools are. Um, And in the same way as listeners of yours in the US might be able to name half a dozen British schools, but they couldn't tell you 50 or 60. It's the same reverse. You know, I can tell my families till the cows come home. that places like Tulane and Wake Forest and Notre Dame are wonderful schools, but they've never heard of these places. Right. And so you've got to kind of move them along the line until you've coached them so they've got the permission to know, you know, I'll play for my ignorance here. That rugby player coming to play at NFL knows what a route is to be able to run off, or off and receive a ball. It takes time to get them there.
0: So when do you have, when do you work with a lot of your families? When do, when do a lot of the students come to you?
1: Well, this is one of the challenges of the different systems, actually. Ideally, we'd like to work with them from their junior year onwards to enable them to make really good choices. And that's increasingly why we like to do a lot of work with high schools and other organisations is to educate the high schools. And as I said, the UK process being quite straightforward. We don't have college counselor in the UK. It's not a job that someone at a school would do. And when I was running university advising at a UK school, I was still teaching 90% of my time
0: okay.
1: because that, that's the model. So it's, it's educating them that you have to start early. A lot of the time we pick up people far too late um, and we're just having to very quickly get them somewhere that will suit them.
0: So there are no college counselors over there. So, so to the extent that the student is, is working with somebody like yourself and, or the parents have had an education at a university or in the U S
1: um yeah i mean there are there are international schools here who have you know international school counselors in the same way as you would recognize at a a private school in the private high school in the u.s and there are some schools which are increasingly getting better at this because the numbers are there it's a great pleasure to work with people who who do it but in a lot of schools it's it's a completely different culture because the uk application system is what do you want to study what grades have you got and it's a much more stimulus you you don't need to have all that level of knowledge of the nuances between different universities and actually, the reality of it is the head of physics will be helping the physics kids and the head of classics will be helping the classics kids because it's that academic piece so it's a real challenge sometimes for someone in a uk school if a child says oh, i want to go to the us we've got no idea where to start and so a lot of our resources that we put out online and you mentioned the webinars and the podcast that we do is to try and help the schools know at least enough about it to be able to educate those students. Now, you know, with a business hat on, it's then nice if those families then come and work with people like us. Reality is we're you know a, quite, a, quite a high price within a, a market and not everyone can do so, but at least we're putting information out there so the students know, okay, if I'm applying to the US, I need to be starting eight to 10 months earlier on the college process than I would do if I was applying to, just to the UK. So.
0: so this year too must have been, it was hard for everyone, obviously, and we talked earlier about the test optional, that must have thrown you guys a curveball, especially given the fact that for UK students too, who are always based on test, tests, and yeah. the, the numerics, how did that work with your...
1: Yeah, it's, I think I'd be interested, we're now sort of a week away from hearing some of the sort of early um, numbers and application results in the US, and so... It'll be interesting to see whether my hypothesis is proved right or is often the case completely wrong. Um, we'll, we'll have to see. I think the challenge for a lot of the students here is that they just weren't able to see places, um, which is complicated as you applying to someone that's competitive and is an early decision application. Because how can you really commit to go a long way away when you just you've never seen the place? That's quite a big thing. The lack of, of the of the need to do SAT and ACT actually works in the people's favour here. Um, as I mentioned, the timelines are different here. So, you know, in a normal cycle, we would have families get in touch with us in September, October saying, oh, yeah, you know, we're thinking about applying to the US. These would be students with extraordinarily high high school grades. They, you know, they would be tracking towards the most selective UK schools where entry is based solely on their, their A-levels or, or their IB diploma. They wouldn't have an SAT on ACT. We'd be saying, look, I just don't think you're going to be ready in time. This year, that whole piece of work taken out. In the same way students that we would be working with and i know every single year in about october we'd be having conversations with families where everything about the student made them competitive for for the, the top us schools they were aiming for apart from the sat or their act score either because they just never did the work for it because they're they're good testers in our system so that must work elsewhere or they just couldn't get their head around a completely different type of test and so we'd be having to say at that point that there are some great schools that are test optional you chicago be you for the IB kids. Wake you um, Miami, Northeastern, and shoveling those kids ever so slightly that way. No, yes, your three A stars A level, but that twenty six A C T, that's not cutting it. I'm afraid at the, at the top twenty school this year again. No data point to say to those families you're not going to be competitive because they're just test optional. So that way round, actually, the, it was more of an incentive for people to do it. The challenge is students from your side coming here, because we need the tests, we must have the tests. And UK admissions without the ability to sit exams, the students were still awarded grades. They didn't do the exams, but the teachers still assigned them A-level grades, which there was a complicated process by which they got them, because we can't do university admissions without high stakes testing. Poor kid in the US doesn't have any testing, we're really sorry we can't accept you we don't have any proof that you're academically qualified to do our course i mean we had a student last year um who'd come to us relatively late in, in the cycle um but had a couple of offers in the uk including imperial college london um and they needed to see a particular maths test called a step paper which is a, an extra maths test even beyond the level of aps and a levels and things and he was going to go to a british council center in new york and he would take it and he couldn't And Imperial College said, "Okay, well, if you haven't been able to take it, we will make you a near miss candidate. You have missed the conditions of your offer. And that means you are then fighting with everybody else who's missed the conditions of the offer for whatever spaces are left. And he didn't get a spot. Now He hadn't done anything wrong. It's not his fault that there was a global pandemic and the test centre was closed. But in the UK process, we must have those test scores
0: you do have a lot of US clients that now are coming to you because now, obviously, as you, you also mentioned price, yeah. <laughs> which, you know, my son came home and he said, can you believe how much University of Chicago cost? And I'm like, yes. <laughs> um, yeah. And having lived overseas and, you know, going through this, having younger kids at the school system, I thought, why couldn't I have had you when I was over here in high school and college? You save a tremendous amount of money. Um, so, in terms of application rates, what did you see? You saw a tremendous number of students from the UK applying to far more colleges yeah. over in the, in the US. What is the standard number of student of colleges that your students apply to? Like,
1: yeah, so to- um, we work with a lot of students who are, are putting together a multi-country strategy. Um, okay. For a lot of students, that will include the UK, um, um, the US, maybe Canada, maybe some European places. Not unusual that we got kids applying to four or five different countries. Okay. i think it's a, it's a minority of the students that we work with always but, but particularly now where it is i am going to the us that is it that is my only option i think you know issues that we have with students they can get visas flights being cancelled that meant that everybody needs to have a second option mm-hmm. um so typically then the students that we're working with are going to the us it's because it's offering something that i don't feel i can get here so that might be a particular name brand school and however much we hate the fact that families want name brand schools they believe there's a cachet to it so so they go for that it might be a particular combination it might be a financial option so our list of where students apply to is extraordinarily top heavy um we try and work against it but but that is just the way way it is and so in that you might find students are doing three or four colleges only in the us but they're doing one ucas application it's fairly common i, I was working with one today where student will go yeah what about mcgill what about University of Toronto, you'll probably do both those applications in about 45 minutes start to finish, and yeah, you'll probably get an offer. okay, great, that's worth it, that's a return on my investment. Um, So in terms of the numbers that way, it depends a little bit on the predictability of the outcomes and that sense of what is it worth putting that that effort into and what will the family pay, Um, particularly, again, this idea we talked about, the high-stakes testing we have here of A-levels. A lot of students now are heading into January, where their school is going to be setting them really big mock kind of trial exams, which there may not be A levels of summit. Wales has cancelled that A levels. Scotland today announced they're not going to have their, their end of um, school exams. So students are really focusing on those. So if I now say to them that, "Hey, what about U Chicago?", and they look at those supplemental essays and go, "Well, that's a huge amount of work. What's my chance of getting to U Chicago, David? Well, probably not high. Oh, it's a really tough school." Okay, and, and, well, maybe I'm sitting on an offer from UCL or Lancaster or Sheffield in the UK. Actually, That's not a wise return on investment. So at this time of year, the list sometimes get radically smaller.
0: And I have seen over here, a lot of students and families are questioning because of the fact that it's all, many of the schools went virtual, right? Yeah. I, and, and I actually have two kids in college and they were absolutely different. One was all in person, one was virtual. And the question is, let's save the money go to a a local either a public university or a community college and save the money for grad school is that some of the discussions you're also having stay in the uk for undergraduate and if you want to go to graduate then look at the u.s for that
1: yeah i mean that, i think that's been an issue for for lots of people particularly i have a lot of conversations with the student and the parent initially and I, and the student is really excited and i'm having to be the you know the, the come to jesus meeting for the family of look this is a lot of money, and you're, you know, yes, you're smart, but you're not walking to Harvard. And by the way, that's a need-based, not a merit scholarship. You know, if you're paying private school fees in the UK, they're probably paying a lot of money to go to Harvard. So, right. that idea of the year abroad is a big deal. One of the interesting things that we're seeing, and you mentioned St. Andrews um, uh, earlier, yeah, they've been doing a lot, is what we're seeing is two plus two programs, where a US school has partnered with a school over here, where the students will start here for two years. And then go to the US. So Saint Andrews has had it with William and Mary for many, many years. Um, Sciences Po, a wonderful English language university in France, has it with Columbia and with Cal Berkeley. And perhaps the, the hottest program that I'm seeing over here is Trinity College Dublin and Columbia. I two years at, two years in Dublin as a 1920 year old, and then two years in New York. Um, okay. And there's loads of other similar programs, the World Bachelor in Business with Baconi, Hong Kong University of Science and Technology and, and USC. Creighton in Nebraska is a great series of programs. They're all out there. But this idea of two years here at a cheaper cost, those are, are really proving very popular. Um, but I, I am saying, as you said, loads of people from the US wants to come over here. Um, and because it's one application for up to five different schools, it's actually not a lot of work to tag on to what you're doing. And when we, When we work with families from the US, particularly if they're only doing a UK application, they almost you know, feel a, a little bit embarrassed when they're speaking to their friends. Their friends are stressed out to high heaven about dealing with college essays. They've written one very formulaic essay. They've applied, they've got their grades. It's gonna cost them 35,000 US dollars a year, only for three years. Take okay, so obviously mostly for us, it's being here. So for the Trinity one, if you are in the EU, you have to apply to Trinity and then also via the Columbia School of General Studies to the joint programme. I don't know where a US citizen would apply. Um, for the Seance Po ones, there's a separate application site. Um,
0: so could you actually get accepted to the Trinity in Dublin? But yes, you
1: could do. Yes. Um, yes, you could be accepted to Trinity and then to the joint programme. You're not, I, I don't think that. it's a Columbia. For the for the CMS Po Cal Berkeley you have to do a science pro application and a UC application and then a separate application. Wow. Um, okay. and so, yeah, so it's, it's, I mean, it's just these individual partnerships, but it's, I think it's, the, it's the future
0: I, for I all think, these places. I, I think, um, that is going to be something where I know a lot of students. I, I could just imagine. I know my kids, I'm all about international. I told you we lived over there and yeah. my kids and my daughter's disappointed as a junior that she's lost the opportunity, you know, at this stage to, Spend junior year overseas, so um, yeah. I have
1: to. Well, one of the things we didn't get, and I probably should have put in there, is yeah. you can your FAFSA you can use at international universities.
0: Okay, I so t- t- can you spend a minute on that? FAFSA you can use for international.
1: FAFSA, so it's not for every university, but if you go to um, the Department of Education website, I think these things just to Google FAFSA for international yep. universities. Okay. There is a long list of universities outside the US which are approved to accept your federal aid um so you can use that to fund your studies in another part of the world um even you know i have us students over here who don't know that they can use their usa to study in the uk it's a really wonderful opportunity to bring down the costs
0: oh to bring down the cost of the thirty-five thousand a year education in some places a
1: thousand you know belgium a thousand euros tuition that's it that's it you're gonna have a lot of beer money to spend in belgium
0: exactly oh my gosh good to know Thank you so much, David. I appreciate that. I, well, that's the other thing, the three year, you almost yeah. said that. So t- David, go back. You said one application for five.
1: Well, so I think the best way of looking of comparing it to us, which is call UCAS, UCAS, um, is a bit like comparing it to the University of California system. Okay. You know, the University of California application, one application for a state system. The UK is one bigger state system. So we have one application portal. Um, there are some schools like the Scottish ones we keep mentioning that are on the common app as well. Right. But if you're applying to more than one UK school, you should be using UCAS and it's one application portal. It is, and again, cost 26 pounds. That's it. So I um, we'll
0: need to spend two to 5,000 on all the applications. No, spend, spend that <laughs> on <those>. us. <laughs> okay. And, and one other thing, when you talked about that two and two plan, I love that. So, is it undergraduate, uh, is it two years always starting at like Dublin and then finishing off at Columbia or do you get to choose as a student? Uh, So it's
1: two years, typically it's two years starting here, two years over there but I mean there's all sorts of amazing ways in doing this, some some wonderful programs and and I'm a big fan actually the American universities abroad, I I liked them before, they've actually been a savior for a number of our students um, just in the COVID situation. You are places like the American University of Paris, John Cabot in Rome, Franklin in Switzerland, where quite often a lot of the students there are on study abroad from U.S. school, mm-hmm. but also European students can get an American accredited degree without using Europe. But we have a bunch of students who couldn't get to the U.S. this fall and they basically done their study abroad first.
0: Okay. So that's how the, that's how you guys pivoted. That's how all the students... For a
1: few students, and a lot of places. I mean, Cornell were one of the first ones who came out and did it and basically said to a lot of their students, look, you're not going to be able to get here, but can you get to X, Y or Z place near where you are? Um, and so they've got lots of students around the world there Um, and given the difference in COVID restrictions some students are having a whale of a time in places where they wouldn't be able to in the U.S.
0: I'm sure they are I'm sure their parents are thrilled (laughs) (laughs) so then in terms of uh, next semester any uh, again are they probably offering the same type I know a lot of schools I know my daughter's at Michigan and then just said don't even come back freshman for for uh, spring semester are you seeing that as well Yeah, I I
1: think a lot of US schools have done their absolute best that they can do. Um, There are just some realistic constraints that you can't do yet. If it's not safe for your embassy to be open, you can't get a visa. And that's just nothing. And something, I don't know whether the stats of this have come out yet. We saw a huge rise in waitlist activity for the class of 2020. Loads more kids being held onto waitlists. And the students who got off waitlists were US citizens. Because why would you take someone for waitlist who can't get to you? Right. Um, whereas, yeah, you know, if you get on a boat like Greta Thunberg and if you get to the US somewhere, you'll be able to get to the college. Um, but if, if, you know, if it from India or somewhere and the embassy close, then there's nothing to do about it. And if you're trying to offer the synchronous campus experience, and we've had a lot of students who just said, look, you know, even from here, the West Coast is eight hours. That is not easy and all your friends are at college, they're having a life. I mean, most UK universities are open for some form of in- on-campus learning. Even if lectures aren't happening, small groups are still meeting. And you're waking up in the middle of the night to log onto Zoom, to be part of a university the other side of the planet, that's tough. I think universities have done the best that they can do, but you can't replicate that experience. So I think for, for the class of 2020, that's been a tough experience we have a number of students who just decide in the end, yeah, my U.S. dream was great, but I wanted to get started here.
0: So, the, And what, what did uh, Edinburgh and, and St. Andrews do? Did they actually did a lot of your, you said they had on-campus programming, a hybrid scenario. So yeah. no, lo, no large lectures, smaller classes and um, small pods. Stay yeah, your group.
1: That's the idea. So we were using the term bubbles over here okay. that you, know, you are put into kind of a bubble whatever it is so my three daughters go to, to a school here and they are in class bubbles so that that is their little group and if there's a case linked to that bubble then that bubble has to isolate for a period of time until they're all tested and can go back in again um, and so the universities have been doing that in whatever ways they can do um, it's different for different universities you know a very urban campus with high-rise dorms is in a very different situation from a completely rural campus where people are, are spread out you know you, you can hire tents and do classes in tents those bigger lectures, I think, and it's something I think colleges have been doing anyway. There's been a drift to having more virtual experience of these kind of things. You can't go to lecture, but it's recorded for you. The notes are typed up. Top. That, that's just the way things have been going. So those things have stopped. But actually, the idea of having still students in some form working together um, is still going. And actually, and something like the U.S., just because the nature of it, if it being a, a system where private education dominates at the college level, unlike most other places, we've had groups of UK universities who've chartered flights to bring in international students from other parts of the world and say, look, we'll test you all. Even to quarantine, we'll test your temperature before you get onto the flight. We'll fly you to university, we'll quarantine you there. And there are students from all around the world who've still been able to get here for, for university. It's not been the normal experience, but I think it's been a very you know, positive experience compared to what the options might be, which were either no college, or and, and, you know, the death knell for teenagers, another year at home with mum and dad
0: yeah gosh that's as that you think have done really well or universities that have done really well you you mentioned like the the two and two plan that. yeah I think that's that's a great option I think that's something
1: we're going to see more and more of I think I don't want to don't sort of single out any names because I think everyone's got difficulties and challenges what I do think it's something that that sort of came to when I was doing a, web, a webinar at the start of this we always use this term that's a good skill that's a good college yeah we kind of know what it means without really being able to define it good by whose reckoning is is the kind of complicated question i'd like to think that we could all now look around that within our community with within where we have got friends and family which have been the morally good colleges yes who's looked after their students but more importantly, who's looked after their catering staff the domestic staff their, their faculty who hasn't just told all their adjuncts to go away who's worked hard to look after their students who, who couldn't get home Yes. His borders were closed. Um, and I don't think we have the answer to that question yet, but I think over the next couple of years, we will start to have this kind of stuff and we'll be looking and people will be asking some serious questions from colleges that probably could have done more. And those are places that actually aren't on the radar right now, but really looked after everybody. Yes. And you'd hope in sort of the celestial wheel of karma, that those places get rewarded. Yeah,
0: well, I, I love that because I actually I said I have a senior right now and my questions to him on College Fit were very different than my other two. I said, look around and see how they are communicating on, on social media. How have they handled this? Are they hybrid? Are they in person? Are they only virtual? Is that the environment you want to be in? And y-
1: Good by whose reckoning is, is the kind of complicated question. I'd like to think that we could all now look around that within our community with within where we've got friends and family which have been the morally good colleges yes who's looked after their students but more importantly who's looked after their catering staff the domestic staff their their faculty who hasn't just told all their adjuncts to go away who's worked hard to look after their students who, who couldn't get home yes. whose borders were closed um and i don't think we have the answer to that question yet but i think over the next couple of years we will start to have this kind of stuff and we'll be looking and people will be asking some serious questions from colleges that probably could have done more and those are places that actually aren't on the radar right now but really looked after everybody yes. and you'd hope in sort of the celestial wheel of karma that those places get rewarded
0: yeah well I I love that because I actually I said I have a senior right now and my questions to him on college fit were very different than my other two I said look around and see how they are communicating on on social media how have they handled this? Are they hybrid? Are they in person? Are they only virtual? Is that the environment you want to be in? And like you said, you don't. Some are doing it well. We're trying to do the best that we can. Some have scaled back and changed. But I think um, those questions I was asking my students right now, or my son right now. So David, what do you wish you knew before you attended college?
1: I wish I knew there were places beyond the UK. I mean, that would have been a lovely experience. Um, to understand and I, I quite often I mentioned I have three daughters I, you know their father runs a company helping kids go to university in other countries I mean their exposure to universities is just unbelievable so that would be helpful for them um, but that idea that it isn't a one-size-fits-all experience I would have I would really love to have known that I might have found something out there that could have been better for me or if, even if it wasn't a realistic option to know that the choices I made were at least made with the full knowledge of stuff that's out there so I, I'd love to have known that that um, I would love to have known that actually this idea of the brand um, actually it fades into insignificance the more you go. I, I will not you know, lie and say going to Oxford didn't help me with my career a little bit, but that's very much kind of a, a British issue. I have nothing to compare it to. You know, I might have, have had a similar career had I had not gone there. But actually, it's how well you do the job and how well you treat people, which I think is success, successful and so I wish I'd, I'd maybe looked a little bit more deeply at other places that are out there and looked much more what is this educational experience going to be like. I was very lucky that the place that I aspired to was actually a good fit for me. I loved history, I love core cool music, I love rugby. I found a place that enabled me to do those kind of things, but it was more luck by luck than judgment and if i if someone had talked to me about fit and educated me about fit. I might have looked at some different places, maybe not as my first choice, but as my second, third or fourth choice. Um, Because there are things that I wish I knew, which I don't. And being a slightly middle-aged man with three small children, I'm probably not going to be able to go back and read the works of Tolstoy or Shakespeare or learn how to do bookkeeping, um, which I might have done had had a slightly broader educational experience.
0: Well, you don't know. We'll there's,
1: there's retirement. I'm looking forward to that.
0: Exactly. The next generation of students going through it, they are going to look at things very differently. Character will count. Looking at not knowing, not not having to have the the bumper sticker as we say, or the sweatshirt. Um, there's going to be more into that name, and they're going to be their eyes are going to be open to look at other opportunities. If we are all about food at College Scoops as well, so if you had a location at any of your UK schools that you said you absolutely, if you go to St. Andrews, you have to go here or or Imperial. Are, Are there any food locations that jump out at you?
1: Well, so I think, yeah, it's, I mean, that's a great question. Not what I've asked before, but immediately some options come to mind. I'll go back, I'll go back to my alma mater. I'll go back to, to Oxford. Um, not my college, um, which is a whole different thing we could talk about. But on one of the famous streets in Oxford is, is um, it's called St. Giles, a very wide street, lots of difference between it. And on the side of the road of St. Giles, is, you have two really famous pubs. Um, one which is called the Lamb and Flag which is actually owned by St John's College. So I would say maybe go and have some food at the Lamb and Flag because you're actually paying to subsidise students. St John's is a very wealthy college but the idea that I'm doing a good deed um, by maybe eating at at the Lamb and Flag and then cross the road safely if if you maybe had a couple of pints of English ale and go to the Eagle and Child um, which is where where C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien and their academic friends would meet for a drink of an evening and talk about their stories and there's just something about the history of that, of sitting oh. sitting in a pub where where these people, friends who then yeah, you know, change the literary canon. Um, you know, I'm a fan of both, particularly C.S. Lewis's work. Um, so that's that's kind of something you have to do. Um, that's Absolutely. a great question. I, I can talk about lots of U.S. colleges where I've I've had wonderful um, okay, meals so, as well. So, right?
0: so give me a give us a U.S. college that you, that you think if ever I'm in that area, I need to stop by that place. Uh,
1: I mean so if if my friends Tim Tim Neal and Ian Backlund are going to listen to this they they will be thinking, because I plug it every time but i I have fallen in love with Swanee, the University of the south um
0: absolutely i have absolute,
1: not been there yet. Uh, I mean you you must go Moy. I mean <laughs> okay. the, you, people have been listening to us for fifty minutes or so, and I might have got a sense of my personality it's in the rural mountains of Tennessee, you know, it's beautiful and yet it looks like an Oxford and Cambridge college because a lot of the original foundation came from the links that um, the Episcopalian Church had. They have a choir, um, to be in the Honours College is, is you have a gown, you are a scholar. The the president is called the Vice Chancellor. Um, my friend, as so I mentioned, Tim Neal, who works in their admissions office, sent me a, a link in the day to their service of nine lessons in Carols. So for someone who's Oxford educated, who is as British as they come, but earns a living of helping kids go to the US. There was a little bit of England sitting in the mountains of Tennessee. Um, and every time I say it, I try to get a, a good discount for my three daughters. Because if, if there was early decision for 10 year olds, I might have them sign up.
0: You might have them already. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been really um, informative and I know it's gonna help everyone out there who is either looking to study abroad or looking to study in the US. Great pleasure.
1: And thank you for the work that you guys do at College Scoops. It's increasingly been very helpful for my students, as they say, having to learn what they don't know that they don't know. So I appreciate the work that you guys do.
0: Thank you to David for joining us today to discuss how students can better prepare to apply to schools in the UK and Europe and what those schools are looking for specifically. The structure of universities are very different in terms of applications, programs and terminology, depending on the culture. Schools in Europe and the U.K. offer undergraduate degrees in three years, not four like the U.S. Typically, the cost of a bachelor's degree in Europe is far less than the U.S. as well. Did you know FAFSA can be applied to certain international universities? To learn more about David Hawkins and the University Guys, you can go visit their website at theuniversityguys.com or follow them on Instagram and Twitter. You can find all of our show notes and links to the helpful resources mentioned throughout our conversation on our website at collegescoops.com podcasts please take a couple of minutes to rate, review, and subscribe to College Scoops. Thank you for listening to our College Scoops podcast. Our entire College Scoops team strives to make the college journey a little bit easier, less stressful, fun, and tasty by sharing all the inside scoops we have curated along the way. We would love to hear from you about topics to cover and your ideas on everything college-related reach out to us at collegescoops.com or follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook.